Well, I'm not looking forward to the end of humanity and reality, but in cinema, it's always a lot of fun. It's always been fun and always will be fun, the end of things. You have to be careful, though, because the audience doesn't really like that kind of stuff. They want a little hope and a little certainty, and they want to know that there's another day, things will be better tomorrow. That's generally the idea from the audience, but I've always loved uh, a little doom and gloom, as the Rolling Stones say. So. Hello everyone and welcome to Struggle Session. We have a John Carpenter double feature today. 1987's Prince of Darkness along with 1994's In the Mouth of Madness. I'm joined today by my co-host Jack Allison and special guest from Chapo Trap House, Matt Chrisman. So Matt, you're the expert here at Hell World. How do you think John Carpenter captures that vision of our impending hell? I think he understands uh, better than anyone how uh, it creeps up on you. I think that's what he gets is is he he really is focused as he's as he should be as a, like a filmmaker as a as a maker of spectacle on uh, the way that our uh just quotidian the 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 structures of our quotidian daily lives are such that we cannot recognize until it is too late what we're creating by just living our lives. Uh and so when it comes when the change comes, it's it's on a scale that we can't conceive of and therefore can't react to. Yes, it's really that hell was really around us the whole time. Uh, exactly. And these characters just begin to notice it in the movies. It's the noticing. It's the observation. It's that, uh, it's that Heisenbergian intervention into a state of uh, being that makes it uh, immunitized, that brings it from something that is around to something that is totalized. Yeah. Yeah, knowledge cannot save you. Yeah, and it damns you, in fact. It was better when I like didn't look at the news and didn't know any of this shit, and it was just playing right, video exactly. games all the time. The illusion of total informational access that we live with uh, means that we're able to live in like these dense, apocalyptic imaginaries and fill them with like so much rich detail, as opposed to you know a medieval peasant who maybe like... Uh, he'd see like a comet, you know, at night and it would make him shit his pants for the next six months. <laughs> and you'd like buy an almanac to know what it meant to try to make sense of that. Like the, here you get those sort of uh, omens, those things that are knocking from outside that you can't control. You get one of those every five seconds. <laughs> We're bored of the omens at this point. The omens are boring now. Prince of Darkness came about for a, because of a confluence of elements. One was I had been making bigger budget studio films and had gotten tired of the process. Tired of how that goes, or at least that went in those days. I think it can't be any better than when I was doing it. And I longed to make a low budget movie where I would have complete control over it. The story, the flow, the characters, the thematic materials. So Prince of Darkness was the first of two low budget movies that I made. And I was influenced uh, by a book I had read the summer before we made the movie. It was on quantum mechanics. It's a, it's a, uh, a theory in uh, 
physics about the very small, about subatomic particles and their behavior. And my worldview changed a great deal. Suppose there is a universe of mind controlling everything, a God willing the behavior of every subatomic particle. Rarely does a horror film try out new ideas, new ways of, of saying things. None, none so much as the problems that we're having today in horror movies, where a lot of derivative stuff is it's very popular. But boy, have I seen this stuff. So I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do a movie that just caused you a lot of unease and dread. And so I, I borrowed a little bit from Gregory Benford's uh, book, Timescape. I know Gregory, he's a really nice man. I borrowed a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit of Jean Cocteau, and put together this, this story about an anti-god, and uh, that's Prince of Darkness. Maybe this universal mind resides in the mirror image instead of in our universe as we wanted to believe. Maybe he's anti-god, bringing darkness instead of light. You will not be saved by the Holy Ghost. You will not be saved by the God Plutonium. Yep. In fact, you will not be saved. So let's start off our discussion with 1987's Prince of Darkness. This is a film that John Carpenter deliberately made on a low budget. He said he was tired at this point of making big studio movies. He wanted to do something that he was in full control of. And the inspiration by, behind this film was not, you know, his predilection for horror and uh, uh, movies, even though I think this film is quite Lovecraftian. It was not, and in the mouth of madness, extremely Lovecraftian. This movie was actually inspired by his, Carpenter's nonfiction reading. Him reading about quantum physics is what boosted him to kind of do this story and on that small infinitesimal scale where humans do not understand anything and the perception of it can change reality. He was haunted by that fact and that is what in large part inspired this film. I, I like this movie because this is a partnership between, you know, religious God guys and science nerds. Like, you know, normally sort of always at each other's throats, you know, uh, the Reddit atheists and, you know, uh, uh, religious guys like come together to sort of like deal with like a, you know, a science religion, you know, this idea that like the devil sort of living in this like quantum state. One of the things you kind of recognize by reading about how our understandings of causation and logic do not apply beyond a certain level of, of, uh, of observation, it, it, that makes you realize that, oh, like there actually at a certain point is no distinction between religion and science. Right. That like none of these categories hold enduring, you know, like platonic uh, conceptions because at a certain point, once you get to... Uh, uh, where you're looking close enough at a, at a small enough uh, at like the actual points of contact between, you know, objects in the universe, there is no causation. There's no, the time runs backwards. Nothing can sustain itself. And so it, it makes you think, oh, we are one way or the other making this. The world is made up of our minds interacting. Yes, like, like the movie says, our, our stubborn faith in common sense uh, is really right. what holds it all together. 
Yeah, exactly. Like be, we believe that we're making something out of this otherwise completely amorphous blob, this thing that is everything at once. We're building structures out of it that are stable in our minds and then building a material world based on those beliefs that we all interact with and thereby literally giving form to the formless. And that is, of course, these guys are all horrified by that because it, then it really means that there is no one in charge. And that means that eventually, if we're all going to be the subjects that uh, capitalism has turned us into, yes, there it is, capitalism rearing its ugly head. You can't talk about uh, movies directed, about the apocalypse directed by the guy who made They Live mm -hmm. and not talk about capitalism. Uh, have means that, that what they believe in is nothing. And eventually, we will bring about our own destruction by tearing us back into oblivion because we can no longer have faith to continue building. This movie is pretty good on the Reddit atheist because it says as in reality the catholic church has been lying their fucking ass <laughs> off uh donald pleasance who plays priest lays the game out uh, very clearly jesus christ was an alien trying to <laughs> warn us about that there was a fundamental truth of the universe there was a god but he was evil and he was gonna fuck us up if he ever came along if he ever uh got back into our realm and he has a son which is satan who is trying to break through uh in this film prince of darkness they've been keeping satan in a bottle yeah. literally in this uh catholic church goo. and the whole and it, it's so funny because it's like you're in the entire purpose of the catholic church their purpose was to like observe this and keep this contained but then uh, as the priest says well we just got you know too busy with you know the pedophilia <laughs> and you know the riches and we kind of forgot about this and now it's starting to wake up and now everybody has to pay yeah, it's 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 indicting religion for being co-opted, for affirming things as they were instead of recognizing like their job as 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 holders of mystery, recognizing like something that, uh beyond. Instead, they just turned like tawdry human society into God. I think that, yeah, I think the line specifically is um, we told people, you know, pleasant, you know, truths inst instead of the real truth. And this is what uh, has resulted of it because it w because it was a better product. Reward ourselves, punish, punish others like that's that's the root of it is that we're telling ourselves a story that makes us the protagonist. And the reality of we're all making it means that there is no protagonist, that we're all equal, which is something that. Uh, subjects and slaves to the archons of uh, of class society cannot accept i watched prince of darkness with the subtitles on because i'm old now and i'm sick of going what and <laughs> although the priest is not named in the movie and in the credits he's just referred to as the priest in the dvd subtitles he's called father loomis yes i saw this on imdb which is uh which is some fun Pleasance also plays Dr. Loomis in Halloween, implying that this is his t priest twin brother. <laughs> and this movie also shares, I think, a bit of DNA with another film way back in John Carpenter's history, Assault on Precinct 13, because it's another mm -hmm. siege movie where we have a cast mm -hmm. of characters under siege. And this is a very interesting cast of characters. One of the things, this is probably a, the Carpenter movie I might have, besides the thing that I've watched the most, because I love how diverse our crew of like nerds is. You have like the funny, you know, horny nerd. You have the, you know, this tall, uh, the tall, handsome nerd. You have this big galoof 
who carry the equipment around. You a have bald like the, guy. Yeah, you have all those Richard Belzer type turbo nerd. You have all these different types of of nerds, and you ha- and you have the uh, you have you have, you have Kelly, uh, all these uh, great Elisa, all these great characters that all end up uh, mostly dead or zombified in one way or the other. But I love, I, re- I really do that that first you know 15 minutes it really kind of sucks me in because i just like all the characters even though i know that they're doomed yeah this one has a fun this one does have absolutely a fun cast i mean victor wong i mean is absolutely great and oh my god love him he's great you gotta love the Wong. he kills it he, he gets the he gets the exact a uh, tenor of the of sort of a a, a mad scientist because it's very funny he has a similar role in this as he does in big trouble in little china mm-hmm. where he's trying to convey to people who don't get it like the enormity of the mystery of the universe and uh in big trouble in little china he's doing it through like you know the ancient chinese magic that he is uh, an adept of and here it says the western magic of uh quantum theory and deep uh astrophysics yes he and pleasance are a very fun pair in this we almost get like two kind of mentor mad scientist fellows in this from both the religion and the science side oh great conversations between them where just where it is just two guys sitting in a room but it's fun and it's interesting you're learning about the film and also shit that carpenter has pulled i mean at, at the time fairly you know new science i think i, I yeah. don't think a, a lot of people would have heard of quantum uh physics and mechanics before this i think it probably wasn't until what like 19 like 2000 when i think brian green's book came out where it got really you know in the kind of in the zeitgeist i like the scene where they're talking and pleasance talks about the brotherhood of dreams as though that's like a real catholic thing or something like that this <laughs> idea that people like i mean it dreams. probably is they got some wild shit <laughs> yeah they have, they you guys know about the entity shit. the entity is the informal name for the vatican secret service oh or wow the, the, uh, 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 their intelligence arm basically like the company uh, you know but, but right and, it, and in, they don't robes. it's not like a formal structure you know like the cia uh, it's basically just people who have other jobs, you know, in the diplomatic corps and in industry and high finance and stuff and in governments, but then are also uh, friends of the church mm. and pass on information. See, they had uh, all that, that shit co-laid. figured out so much before Scientology. Scientology gets a bad rap for all that shit, but the Catholics have they're, been doing it for like since like the year 1000. No, it's the, the structures are all the same. Like the, the, the way that you pitch yourself to an audience. As a young religion, it's it's pretty it's a pretty standard book. It, it, all that happens is that with time you gain respectability. And one thing I like about this film, and I like about the thing as well, is like there's not a lot of time where people are just not believing the shit. Like pretty much immediately, all the scientists mm-hmm. are like, something fucked up is going on. I think I might <laughs> get out of here. Or they're like, oh shit, this is fucked up. We need to figure this out and pull an all nighter. There's very only I think Ollie Walter is like the latest skeptic. It, skeptic but even by the end like he is like really working on this problem of of like the son of satan uh coming back instead of none of them are like scullies from the (laughs) x-files you know they're they all like pick it up even though they're all scientists they understand that okay this is some shit we don't get let's try to figure it out like scientists instead of just deny 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 which is a much i think easier movie to write they they are also they also also can't leave in addition because they're under siege by like basically a bunch of 
possessed people led uh in a great role by Alice Cooper. Alice, Alice Cooper, Cooper yeah. kind yeah. of the head of the seizures in this. Uh, it sets the mood early when they arrive to investigate the slime tube. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you see these guys just start in walk step moving towards them. And again, they're not even noticing. Because, you know, if you live in a big city, you train yourself to ignore mm -hmm. the homeless. Matt, what is your favorite kill? I Just because it's so... Uh, fast. It's it almost plays more like a punchline than a s jump scare, and kind of highlights that that is at the end of the day, it's a blurry distinction between those two things. When the uh guy, the bald dude with the mullet, the skullet, is looking around next to the goo tube, and he just sticks his head through the side of the frame, and then these hands just come out and just snap his neck. <laughs> so good. So good. Lady, a lady is snapping this dude's neck just like nothing. And it's just, it's very, it's a very nice deflation of the tension. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, for me, I think I mentioned him already, uh, Alice Cooper. Uh, I like when our, our first guy tries to leave and Alice Cooper has like a half a bike, like almost like a unicycle. Like a yeah, that's such, that's one of the weirdest murder weapons in movie history yes. half a bike he stabs him through with half a bike and impales him and he's like posted up or like yes. on some flat shit like i that yeah. was very good yeah I, that I, one i like i like when homegirl like the zombie gets her head chopped off and then puts it back on i guess it doesn't technically count baller. as a kill yeah but it is uh awesome i i do love it the reason i first discovered this film was because someone had sampled the dream sequence in I think an old uh, drum and bass record. Hmm. And it's so fucking creepy. I was like, what is this? Where oh, is yeah. this? This movie was unfortunately a flop for Carpenter. Spent about uh, eight to 14 million dollars on it, only made eight million back. I don't think this movie is talked about nearly enough. I hadn't heard, even though I was a Carpenter fan, I hadn't heard much of it. But I, when I heard that dream sequence, I was like, holy shit, what the fuck is this? And I was not disappointed when I got to the movie. It's just as creepy in the film as it is in isolation. And he got that uh, piece of that concept from a sci-fi novel called uh, Timescape by Gregory Benford, where people are trying, where scientists in the far future use tachyons to send messages back in time in order to stop an ecological uh, disaster uh, that humanity is bringing upon itself. Oh man, yeah, that's those images are indelible. <laughs> there, there's something almost. It's like I, I guess that it's maybe a bandwidth thing with Tachyon that they kind of have to send it back as like low res, you know, video cassette footage. Uh, but it's got a very creepy and cool look. Let's get into the ending which I adore so much because it is apocalyptic. It's not a happy ending. John Carpenter once said that he was in a literature class one time trying to learn how to write. And he said, and the professor said something about usually a happy ending uh, that wraps everything up nicely is police, a police car and sirens in the background. That's usually a happy ending. And Carpenter said, that sounds quite terrifying to me, actually. I don't <laughs> want it. Well, don't want that uh, kind of ending. So we get a very different one here where Catherine sacrifices herself 
in order to stop uh, the son of Satan from coming through this por portal, which is a mirror. And he get and he said he's get the mirror idea from a surrealist film. Uh, I think uh, John Couteau, uh, he said, did it uh, first, but that's where he pulls it. That's why the movie gets kind of trippy towards the end. It kind of leaves the real world because he's trying to pull from, you know, this French surrealist cinema, which wasn't really uh, concerned with that. But this ending where she sacrifices herself and you think maybe she saves the day. But no, not at all. The dreams are still coming. The future has mostly been unchanged and we are still doomed. And in fact, uh, spoiler alert, the embodiment of this this anti-God is going to be the very person who jumped uh, into the portal and seemingly rescued everybody. And it turns out all they did was uh, is set the stage for the ultimate triumph. Your hands are too short to box with anti-God, fam. You can't do yep. it. <laughs> By the way, yeah. You cannot I mean, fade him. Even, you've, you've said it now, but just the term anti-God is so good. Just as a, you know, just as a, an idea and it not being Satan, anti-God is so yeah, great. Yeah, anti-God and there's no, and there's no counterpoint. There's no good God to fight him. Jesus was just like some, like a fucking messenger boy. <laughs> He's trying to like he's like the silver surfer yeah, basically yeah, yeah. telling us about galactus <laughs> you know I, I you know before we move on from it you know i do want to mention you know we talked earlier about the, the one guy's head falling off this was not a death either but when the one dude is outside and he's like made of bugs like oh, yes. the men in black bug man uh i i guess i, I have a message a for you sequence. you're not gonna like it oh. <laughs> pray for death so good and his head just like kind of rots off and we see he's made of bugs it's just it's just great absolutely and i do want to mention uh before we move on the music of this. oh yeah so good from so frame one like from from the first frame of the movie you're like oh i'm in for some of that good john carpenter shit i'm in for that good synth again here yeah, I think this it might actually be my favorite score. I might even like it a little bit better than The Thing or Escape from New York just because, man, it just moves the movie along. It almost never stops, but I never get tired of it. It works just so well. A man who could have just been like one of the best film scorers who also is one of the best filmmakers. Like he, he's not in the conversation he's enough. A mul he's, got, he's a threat across many uh Many angles. And sure. I guess he got addicted to the video game Destiny at one point. I'm like, how are yes. you do how are you a gamer and you're one of the best <laughs> filmmakers? How do you have the time, sir? Well, remember though, I think it's very important to point out he was a great filmmaker and then he retired basically and then became a gamer. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's you know that's if you want to really reach the height of your craft, you have to not be You gaming. can't be I'm fucking sorry. playing games until you make eighteen great films. Uh, yep. It might be possible that he just saw what was coming to Hollywood and just got the fuck out anyway and figured being <laughs> I mean, a gamer was probably better. He said that like he wanted to make something smaller and less compromised, but you know, the other part of that is that his movies were not making a lot of money. Right. Uh and he wasn't able to get the budgets that he used to be able to. Uh and, and I'd say that like there's a perfect balance here between subject matter and budget. And I feel like in the Mouth of Madness, which was made a little bit later, and therefore, you know, after another failure uh, by Carpenter at the box office, left him in a situation where uh, there started to be sort of uh, distance between the ambitions of the filmmaker and the realistic uh, uh, fulfillment of them, given the amount of uh, resources he could draw on. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is a perfect transition 
to end the mouth of madness. This one will drive you absolutely mad. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demands of Sutter Kane's novel, In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. The guy that writes horror books. You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. Starring Sam Neill as John Trent and uh, a top flight insurance investigator. Yeah. He's the best there is, damn it. <laughs> a badass, the best insurance he is adjuster a that there is. Insurance investigator. <laughs> On the hunt at this uh, top flight multi billion dollar horror publishing house and their billion right. dollar uh, Golden Goose Southern came. Was the mid 90s actually like this? Just no. to tour of the public publishing house it looks like it looks like vogue magazine it's almost. like an agency it's like a hollywood agency i mean there was a lot of there's and, and you know this guy the sutter kane of the movie is basically they they establish him as stephen king times 10 yeah. and you know king was making just gigantic stacks of money for everybody involved in his uh books so yeah, that was the golden age of publishing. Yeah. Yes, the thing I did find maybe most otherworldly about this is that this is a world where people read and give a shit about reading yes, and actually is, read books. It's called the past. <laughs> I, I remember it. <laughs> books were important. Yeah, yeah, People read a lot of them. Yeah, it feels like a period piece, but it shouldn't. Uh, we have Jerrigan Proshow as uh, S- uh, Southern Kane, uh, Julia Carmen as Linda Stiles, uh, John Glover making uh, appearance and wonderful i love seeing him ever anytime i can and yeah. charlton heston oh, as yeah. our publisher unbelievable <laughs> casting uh, there how, how where did he pull charlton heston from that was like the most surprising first in the opening credits to see that name and then actually to even see him again i was just like why is charlton heston in this after he sort of you know f- stopped acting and became an activist, yeah. he had a little bit of a run in there from like the mid to late '90s, where he would show up in these sort of prestige movies and in a big cameo as some authority figure. Uh, he's uh, Tom Cruise, or st- he's Arnold Schwarzenegger's boss in True Lies right. with an eye patch. Get to it before someone parks an automobile <laughs> in front of the White House with a nuclear weapon in the trunk. And this is part of that. We were, you mentioned, you know, the budget not matching the vision. It actually starts from the first frame of this movie when you hear it with the music. Ooh. Because the music uh, was supposed to be, I think, ma- mas- was supposed to be Master of Puppets by Metallica. But they couldn't get that. So instead, uh, Carpenter, w- working with this guy named Jim, Jim Lane, they hadn't worked with before. And he has good things to say about him. But uh, he, that Jim Lane is most known for scoring Hey Arnold. So I don't, <laughs> in, I think in on the whole, the music just does not live up to the Carpenter standard. It's, it does not yeah. uh, do it's the fr- movie a service. It does not set the stage because the first the, the, it's a it's a long ass uh, credit sequence which is another thing we don't have anymore people if you try to do this kind of credit sequence not even talking about the music just showing it's a bunch of uh, images of the book production process right. of books being uh, uh, being printed and covers being printed and brought together yeah, uh, if you just left that on screen for four minutes with modern audiences, they would start eating the seats in the movie theater. <laughs> they cannot handle that lack of stimulation. But that was this. This is just a thing. I. But the problem, as you said, is is that over this, this horror movie, you get 
this like bluesy mm-hmm. just riff like squirt <laughs> it's in the same wheelhouse as the stuff that uh, he uses at the beginning of they live but the difference is in they live those early scenes are Roddy Piper as this uh, hobo basically mm-hmm. walking around LA and so there is sort of something fitting to sort of a, a rootsy bluesy vibe to it but here you're just getting this like uh blues hammer ass riff <laughs> that is like what movie am i about over, to watch over books being published now i will it, say it this. does not set the stage for a lovecraftian chills <laughs> i will say that i did appreciate during the opening credits how uh, well they nailed the kind of 90s paperback uh stephen king uh book covers oh yeah i thought that those were pretty mm-hmm. nicely done i read and- a million books like that many by stephen king many by knockoffs like I, I was so into that shit that I like I read a bunch I read Dean Koontz, okay? <laughs> Couldn't even though Stephen King put out a, a book th- every 3 months, I still needed to get my fix from Dean Koontz, the Aldi brand Stephen King. I think I I, I think I read some Dean Koontz because it was like the books that were just there at high school, like someone had like donated some Dean Koontz and it was there in homeroom. Yeah. So I, I read a, a Dean Koontz here and there. And hey, listen, they they're are breezy amazing. Reads. They they're are breezy. They're like real mirror images. So <laughs> they both, you know, rotten childhood boomers with rotten childhoods. Uh, Koontz from California and and Steve King from Maine, mm-hmm. and then King, of course, just being a a liberal boomer his whole life. And Koontz being sort of a crabby uh, Goldwater reactionary mm. his whole life, they're perfect. They're perfect. And but one of them was much better than the other one. But uh, although I gotta say, Affleck the bomb and Phantoms, yo. <laughs> if anyone saw the '90s bomb Phantoms, that's based on a Dean Koontz novel. But I have heard that that is like an incredible performance by Ben Affleck for some reason. Even better performance by a, a, a slumming and near-death Peter O'Toole. Oh, jeez. Who comes in as an expert on the monster in the movie. <laughs> and there's a scene where he like turns to someone and, and describing the creature, and he goes, Terror! Terror in the flesh! <laughs> That's great. So in the mouth of madness, I came to this one from my love of H.P. Lovecraft. I was looking for movies that had ties to Lovecraft or adaptations from Lovecraft. And this is uh, one that usually tops the list. And you can see why very early on, because it starts with the Lovecraftian premise that okay this guy has already gone crazy uh he was a super arrogant academic of some sort or professional of some sort in this case a top flight insurance adjuster and he's telling his story in the in the past tense of what happened to him how he got too close to those you know those elder gods those nether realms those cyclopean horrors and how it fucked him and also how we are in turn all fucked we just don't know it yet and i actually think this beginning of this movie a bit slow a bit slow i think i think it takes a little bit too long uh to get into it's about 30 minutes before he gets to hobbs in and a lot of the twists and turns are kind of like not quite believable until you understand the whole movie then it all makes sense and i think that's kind of a problem with the beginning because like just out of nowhere he's attacked by a guy who's asking him about southern kane at the exact same moment he's being offered a job about southern kane and that just like that doesn't make any sense when you're watching the movie that that coincidence doesn't really vibe until you get to the end well, in fairness, though, they do establish that there's this like 
wave of violence associated with uh, Sutter Kane book releases and that people are going nuts. Yeah. And yeah, it is like a wild coincidence, but it's less so if you remember like, oh, something's going on with this guy's book. They're making people lo- <laughs> uh, freak out, including this guy. Yes. Who, then you, who we, and then you do way, find out that fun. that guy yeah. was... Uh, Sutter Kane's agent. Yes. Oh yes, I Not like that. Some, I like, when this, that comes this, in, yeah. then that's like okay, all right. You yeah. do, you, you mm-hmm. got something going here, Carpenter. But this mo- book movie actually was not originally supposed to be done by Carp. It was originally supposed to be directed by Mary Lambert, who directed uh, Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery Two, two excellent movies, and it languished for a bit. Uh, Carpenter, in fact, I think turned it down once, but then he eventually came back to it. I still think he kind of makes his his mark, but it does feel a bit different uh, than his other than some of his other movies. But I and it's probably not my favorite, but it has some of my I don't know. It gives me my favorite feeling by the end I'm of watching it. I think is kind of how I would describe it. Like I, is moment to moment is not the best one, but by it get by the time it gets to the end, I feel so like satisfied and horrified. Like it really does deliver a mood, which is what you know Lovecraft always was trying to do. And- yeah, it's it's that thing of like the 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 slow burn apocalypse that only comes into uh, detail as you observe it. Like. Uh, when you're at the end of the movie looking back, it does have this sense of, yeah, things snapping into place. I like a good Sam Neill performance, you know, oh, and yeah. especially Sam oh, Neill yes. in a horror, you know, this love and uh, Event. What was the other? The, uh, the, is event, that event Horizon. Horizon? Yeah, event, this and Event Horizon. I like a Sam Neill in a horror. And yeah, I think that this does, you know, while Leslie, I, I kind of agree that it starts slow, but also it's an hour and a half. So there's not a lot you can really oh, yeah. cut there if you want it to be a full well, and, Prince, and Prince of Darkness, too, uh, 138. So we got a couple of close to tight 90s. A couple nice, nice, uh, nice shorties here. Um, but yeah, I don't know this, this one, there's just a real like distinctive feeling, especially in, in like a low budget John Carpenter, you know, that, that I really like. And, and this one has it, uh, and it's got a great Sam Neill performance and it's got that Lovecraftian weirdness. He, that he plays it as it should. Like, yes, it's, we, we make a joke. He's an insurance investigator. Uh, that's weird, but. He gets that he gets that that's just, you know, uh, the specific justification for what is essentially the classic private detective yes. character. And so he embodies this snark, the, 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 the wisecracking cynical P.I. who's seen it all. Yes. And that's and he plays it like that all the way through. And Carpenter said Sam Neill read the script and he said he thought it was a comedy and played it that way. And, it was, and Carpenter said, that's great. Yeah. It's a very funny movie at part. So as we get into Hobbs Inn, we come again to a tie between uh, this and Prince of Darkness, where the source of all the evil in the world is actually a church. And the church in this movie, I don't want to offend anybody who attends this church because it is a real church, but it does look demonic. Is it, it looks pretty yeah. fucking creepy. I, there's like upside down crosses in this real church. What I don't know. If, I don't know if all the like inlays okay. and shit the are in, real. In, interior. Okay. In, interior. I mean, uh, the, and it, it, I don't think there's a coincidence that it is a, a Byzantine Eastern Rite church because they do have the most of the major christian traditions certainly in america they have the most the most alien seeming architecture and aesthetic yeah it's called the the cathedral of the transfiguration and it's actually in in uh markham ontario uh canada markham 
Ontario, Canada. <laughs> it, and it's spelled like Arkham, just with an M. Very, very strange, <laughs> uh, very, very strange building. Great location uh, scouting uh, on this one. The uh, I, I, I forgot to mention the basement of the church in Prince of Darkness is actually a hotel that had been like a falling apart hotel that had been destroyed in like an earthquake or something, mm. I think in Santa Barbara. Um, but uh, but this is this is ultimately Sutter Kane's like writing retreat. You know, when we finally yes. get to see him, I'm like, damn, like this guy found a fucking quiet place to write. Like, good for him. <laughs> like, seems nice. Kane is this massive horror novelist. Everyone's reading his books. The people in the, and is driving people batty. And yeah. we find out that he has somehow the town that he's writing these stories in is called Hobbs and uh, Lovecraft, of course, creates his little towns as Stephen King does as well. But this one's turns out to be real, a real place that sent when Sam Nils discovers it. But all that's happening around him is stuff from the stories and the books. And Matt, as you said, I feel like at this point in the movie, I feel like there should have been a lot more, a lot more creatures, a lot more weird stuff going on. But the budget was just wasn't there to really fulfill it. Even though we get a lot of cool stuff like the, uh, a the couple cool ones. Yeah. The one woman who runs the hotel, uh, when she's like turns into this big fucking creature and is like chopping someone in the bits and stuff. I yeah. like, so like so much of this cool. I, I remember like when they show up at the black church and like just a bunch of Dobermans come out, I'm like, all right, I know he wanted to get something cooler than like dogs there, <laughs> but he just couldn't do it. Yeah, this is a great like you know send John Carpenter to a, like a small town. You know what I mean? Like that. It's like that kind of budgeted movie where they're just like shooting around this town and uh, yeah, I get a couple you know, of you really get a sense during, of the town. Yeah, get the locals in, involved. This also has the John Carpenter thing of like kind of making people into creepy zombies by just putting like a bit of blood on the side of their nose. Like this, like these books and shit make people like their faces crack a little bit or like a little bit of blood comes out of their eyes. Like, you know, the kind of cheapy, you know, body taken over feeling. They do have a thing where some of them, they give them the makeup for, you know, like their eyeballs start getting really big and you get kind of an Innsmouth look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. I, I feel like there would have been a bit more of that, but we get we get some good stuff, some good effects. Uh, when 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 Styles zombified and like crawls backwards and their head turns around, like that is Ooh, some really yeah. good stuff. I feel like the movie could have had a bit more of it, but man, once it gets to the end, like it really gets going and we get lots of like really horrifying images and kind of this you know this very kind of choppy pace he starts off carpenter says is he deliberately starts off slow and he complains about how fast films move now he says everything now is bebop like i like to set the tone but then he says when he gets into it the cuts get a lot quicker a lot faster he a lot more uh disorienting and you get a very you know disorienting film by the end when you start to realize that who you are following is a guy who is a character in a book that has been written by southern kane who kind of just shows up says we're fucked i'm going to ascend and then like takes off the actual movie is not taking place on the screen the actual important stuff is all happening in that church but we only get a small glimpse of it just a glimpse through this fictional man who like is trying to understand it but he's really like just barely even like a he's just a past he's just a courier really uh for this madness he's not really involved he can't stop it he there's nothing he can do to fight it because he doesn't even really like exist 
except to spread it. Yeah, that's that's the realization is that oh, none of this is real. We're all in a in, living in a dream, basically in a nightmare. Uh, and then how do we respond to that? You know, and the film posits that we, the people that you know we have become in our society, we will respond by becoming monsters. But that's the only way that we can assimilate that knowledge or to, yeah, in some way or another go mad, which is that was Lovecraft's whole prophecy that, you know, man, uh, the, the scientific secular mind would come into awareness of like the, the, the uh, totality of the universe, but they would come at it from such a point of uh, alienation that they could only see it as this uh, empty space filled with monsters but all those monsters are just being conjured by the human mind into existence. We got to talk about the wall of monsters. One of the coolest yes. things that Carpenter have ever done in anything. I think people post that GIF all the time. Like as they also, this actually movie is quite memed a lot for some reason. Well, specifically the, the scene at the very end where uh, Trent is watching uh, the film version of the book that he became the unwitting courier of. And it's just, the movie that we had just watched mm -hmm. uh, and he starts cackling and there's a shot of him in his uh, cross covered uh, mental hospital scrubs holding popcorn and cackling. I feel a lot of people find that to be a very uh, evocative uh, symbol of their own interactions with the world yes. around them. In he, the, in he really the, the did think it was a comedy find ourselves. in the end. When he watched <laughs> yeah. it, he really did think it was a comedy. Yeah, it is, it is uh, similar to Jokerfication. I, I yes, think. yes. Exactly. Yeah. He gets Jokerfied by the end. Yeah. I will say, you know, the Wall of Monsters is great. There are some cool effects. One of the ones I thought was not the best I've ever seen uh, was when he wakes up, when he's told, that, you know, in a dream that Sutter Kane's favorite color is blue and he wakes up in like a blueified, you know, traffic, yeah. you know, like color corrected like to blue world and like screams that something. it's blue. It's very funny. Yeah. The ending sequence, and I think this is part of why I always fall in love with this movie, where months and months pass for our protagonist but he is just aware of maybe a few seconds of it where he's just waking he's waking up here he's waking up there the, he's born burns the book but it's back he's back in new york he's back at work he's he thinks he's telling the story for the first time but it's been six months and hey the book is already published and hey the movie is coming out and then like that that's disorienting sprint is so good and so and just like mm -hmm. really when me over every single time and it's like there is just nothing he can do he's just falling 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 and he know and at the same time you get the hints of how the world is falling apart and the uh, this is not just a isolated incident this is the end of everything this is apocalypse this is not just you know uh, like it, uh, like a lot of movies like this, it would be you know very limited in scope. One town and the protagonist gets out, and then there's a jump scare at the end. Not this one. This one says that no, this just keeps happening and keeps getting worse. And by and really like our participation in it, watching this movie is what makes this real. Because they they say uh, I think in this they say something about uh, no one really believed in the real in the you know the Christian religions or the you know, the the regular religions enough to make them real but my books are so popular that they're making all of this real uh and i really just i really like that concept and idea 
you know, with that said, he we do see him, you know, get out of the the you know the mental asylum later. And you know, even though we're in the past when books were more read and people actually cared about books, it is the release of the movie that you know d- drove everyone in the yes. world insane, <laughs> and you know has made it so that streets are empty and we're hearing on the radio how many cities have fallen. So that was. Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness, two great, great flicks. I think I can speak for all of us when I say thumbs up for thumbs up for all of these. But yeah. Matt, someone's watched both these films. They've had their minds warped. Where can they dive deeper? How can they get more weird and fucked up and jokerified? What movies do you recommend in addendum to this? Oh, uh. If anyone's seen the uh, Usna Brothers classic Society, oh, yes. that would be a good compliment. Very, very good. Uh, but of course, if you haven't seen uh, The Thing, which is the other part of this sure. Apocalypse trilogy from John Carper, Run, Don't Walk, and also his another film of his that uh, is not, I guess, technically apocalyptic because it ends on a note of hope, uh, but otherwise has a very similar uh, analytical framework to exactly how humans you know, are... Uh, overthrown and destroyed in their ability to to uh, uh, control their world would be They Live. Please, please check that one out. Uh, one of the few big, uh, dumb American movies that is explicitly about ideology. All right, and make sure to go back, check out our episode with Matt about that movie back in the archives. Matt, thank you so much for joining us once again yeah. on Struggle Session. Thanks for having Always me. Always a pleasure to have you. Peace. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.